Hey Coconuts, today in TFC Stock Geek Up, we're going to explore probably the most successful software company of all time. I mean, it's Microsoft. You really don't need me to hype for them. But do you know that within their ecosystem, they own GitHub, Xbox, and even LinkedIn, right? And if you start to see the way they acquire, there is a trend. It ties back down to their business model and the clients they serve. We will talk about how the company continues to stay dominant within the enterprise client space and how it plans to stay relevant going forward. So joining me today to kick out on this company, Microsoft, is our in-house stock and tech geek, Thomas Teo. Microsoft needs no further introduction, but for all of you that think you know they're still doing Microsoft Office Suite only, you need to catch up fast. Yeah, they own one of the largest cloud computing ecosystems, Azure, and they moved into cloud in a way most giant enterprises would only hope for. All these initiatives were born under the helm of Satya Nadella, right? Satya Nadella. I hope I never butcher his name, but he is the legendary turnaround CEO of Microsoft. For your reference sake, this episode was recorded on the 28th of July, 2021. Our discussion today is solely for entertainment and education purposes only. It does not serve as any form of advice or recommendations. Thank you for loving what we do and empowering us financially to do more for you. Join our Telegram group to keep the discussion going. Let's geek out. So yes, today we're gonna talk about this uh, giant. I'm sure. I'm sure everybody knows that like, we don't really need to introduce people to this company called Microsoft, you know. But the reality is, uh, it's a lot bigger than what many of us know it to be. Right? It's so big that uh, when uh, we were coming on live, I was like, "Hey, uh, Thomas, what is there to talk about this company? It's just too many things. <laughs> it's like a broadly diversified in itself, you know. Like, is there actually <laughs> some sort of competitive analysis that we can give to?" Uh, this company and you know give people some insights right so why why did we decide to talk about Microsoft and what is your take on this company at this moment sure I think it helps understanding uh, companies that actually have quite a big impact in our lives whether we see it uh, every day at work or maybe somehow it's influencing uh, the way that we work also so Microsoft is uh, as you might know it's having um, it's doing Windows right it's doing your Office 365 uh, there's other little things along its whole portfolio, right? Which also has quite a big influence. Things like your uh, Windows Server, GitHub, LinkedIn, um, Azure, your cloud. And uh, those are all your software side of things. La. Are you sure those things are little? I think they're all quite big. La. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. In, yeah. in, Microsoft's, in Microsoft's portfolio, it's, it's, it's a smaller <laughs> portion. Oh, right? okay. Oh. Uh, relative, relative. Yeah, I, I, I just speak generally uh, because not everyone's an uh, engineer, for, for example, mm. so they won't actually touch GitHub or, or, or SQL Server and things like that. But uh, maybe LinkedIn, we are more familiar with. Um, Azure, the cloud, it powers a lot of uh, different um, companies also because they don't want to have their own cloud compute. But uh, that's the software side of things. Uh, maybe the hardware, people may know um, Windows is everywhere, right? Your Windows laptops, Windows PCs. A few of you, we have a lot of Macs. MacBooks that you use at work or at your personal capacity when you're studying and things like that. But you might have a Windows PC lying around in your house. Somehow, mm. la, right? And it's a Windows. It's not an iMac for some reason. Yeah. So that aside, there's also the Surface, right? Which is like a competitor to your iPad. There's of course a Windows phone, but I, I'm not sure who, who uses that nowadays. But uh, <laughs> there's also the gaming units, la, your Xbox 360. So for mm. the really hardcore gamers, um, other than your Sony your um, Nintendos, your, you have got your Xbox as well. So um, they also do a lot of these, um, they, they basically bought the games, right? They are very, very um, famous to do with Xbox. I think that back then it was Halo. It might be a few other other, other titles now already. And it's like 
oh, you must play Halo on Xbox 360, nothing else. <laughs> it's that kind of thing. So uh, it's quite cool that... Um, that they are broadly diversified, lah. Is it? Yeah, yeah, they're pretty broadly diversified, <laughs> la, but, but primarily on the software, the hardware kind of tech, but very, very big in those kind of areas. How should we understand Microsoft as a business? Because like you pointed mm. out, right, they have all these things and all of them have a very different business model. Right? So mm. whether is it from LinkedIn or whether is it Microsoft 365 or like Azure, their cloud unit, what have you, right? So all the way to Xbox gaming, they all have a different business model. And dude, it's like, if we want to talk about all the business models, <laughs> it's going to be quite wild. And it, it's mm. probably going to do like half a day of discussion just on this. Um, so yeah. how, how would a retail investor that is trying to understand Microsoft at a preliminary level, look at Microsoft as a business? Like what is the breakdown that you would, uh, you would push us towards? Right. I think we can use the same three segments, which uh, Microsoft uses to report their revenue. La. So they are productivity and business process, basically things that help to improve your productivity or your, the way that you run your business. These are your Office 365, right? Imagine a world where there was no Google, uh, sorry, where there was no Microsoft Excel. Yeah, or uh, Docs or Slide or Presentation. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'm using a lot of the, the Google's uh, uh, ecosystem <laughs> nowadays. Uh, but imagine the world didn't have these from Microsoft, right? Sorry, I, 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 hate, I hate it when people force me to use the Microsoft ecosystem. A lot of corporate <laughs> people say, oh, can we talk Microsoft Teams? They send me Excel. I was like, oh my God, I don't yeah. have that. Why don't you just give me a Google link? But, yeah. but we can talk about that slightly later. But yeah, continue, please. Yes. Sure, sure, sure. So these things are is essential in any company. Right, you you no matter what, right? You need to deal with data in a tabular format. You need columns, you need rows, right? So it's either yeah, your Google Sheets or your Microsoft Excel, lah. Um, and that that being said, like, Google has come a long way in building up uh, that part of their product, uh, which is giving um a hard fight to Office three six five as well. But um, there's a lot of businesses, there's a lot of government agencies who are still using uh Microsoft and using it quite heavily, lah. Is there a reason why? I think. One is legacy. There's a lot of documents that's really inside these, right? Uh, especially your Excel sheets. And it's not very easily migrated over into something else. Um, so you, they end up having to, to just continue paying it. Lah. And it's not that bad. It's not that expensive. Uh, but it is essential. So that's why it sticks. Other than the data itself, some of these companies actually embed a bit of their business process inside their macros. So you can actually code out some things to run automatically inside your Excel or your, uh, what do you call this? Microsoft Word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't even use it nowadays. Yeah, but I know that so it's important. So legacy. Yeah, it is important. It's important. Okay, so this is your productivity and your business process side of things. Um, also, what you power inside in, is LinkedIn. La. Yeah, that, uh, for mm. some reason, that, that comes with productivity and business process. Okay. Mm. And the second segment will be intelligent cloud. So what I mean by intelligent cloud is all your really tech-related stuff on the software which floats somewhere, somehow but you kind of use it also. So what are these? It's your Azure Cloud Compute, it's your SQL Server, uh, basically it's like your database. You've got your GitHub, right? It's where it's a code repository where um, engineers go and post up their open source code or some of their projects. Some companies also will use it to host their code because they don't want to host it anywhere else. It's also secure. It's uh, very good for for engineering, software engineering specifically. There's also Visual Studio Code, which is uh, software which engineers use to do their code. Right, you need a, a special kind of software to help customize certain kinds of workflows when you code. Um, that's what Visual Studio Code does. And there's also Bing, the search engine. Um, there's still parts of the world which uses it. It's it still being used, right? It's not as like prominent as, say, Google, but uh, they actually have some search revenue that's coming in. 
and also Microsoft Teams. Right, so Microsoft Teams is is uh, basically a collaboration or chat software. Uh, think of it as like your WhatsApp or your Telegram. You use it inside uni or use it uh, outside for personal chats and all that, right? When you go inside a company, you will likely use Teams um, or maybe there's Slack or maybe there's Metamos and, and stuff like that. Basically, these kind of collaboration platforms which will help you to join, send back and forth uh, messages, right? Help you to store documents, help you to search for stuff. That's Teams. And then the last segment, which is uh, more of the hardware side of things, it's personal computing. So personal computing consists of your Windows operating system. That one is a license. Every year you have to go and pay one. There's also the uh, hardware, which is uh, Microsoft Surface, which is basically like your tablet and your gaming, your gaming consoles like Xbox. Yeah, wow. It, honestly, I think it's super broadly classified together. I don't even know why LinkedIn is put with productivity. I don't even know people still use Bing. And like you said, Bing is a search engine. So there's a very different business um, looking, at, looking at it, right? So do you think this is actually the best way to look at Microsoft as a company? Mm. Or should we look at it from a... You know, it's like how people look at Amazon, right? Um, there's this main business that's making all the money. So this is where most of the revenue is. And then uh, there are some of these other growth spaces. And then there's the support that will may, may or may not be monetized kind of business, right? So do you think we should look at a business this, like look at Microsoft this way or should we look at it more like, like how, how people look at Amazon? I think this way is actually fine uh, once it, it makes sense in the back of your head. So how does it actually make sense is basically the, the, the stuff that doesn't really fit. You mentioned LinkedIn and Bing. LinkedIn, you can think of it as a productivity tool because you are, say, if you are a normal user, you're looking for a job, if you're the HR person, you use LinkedIn to actually send out all these messages to go and find people to fill these positions, right? At the same time, um, for marketers, they also use LinkedIn to advertise, right? To put up some branding kind of campaigns on LinkedIn to a um, little bit leaning towards the HR side of things. But as a whole, it's like a platform which allows people to be more productive in that particular business process. So that's why it kind of makes sense in that direction. Uh, but it doesn't just exist on its own platform. Like, like LinkedIn was, was acquired by Microsoft. It has its own business model last time. Uh, but where it fits into this is that, yes, as part of Microsoft's own marketing in their um, 10Ks and all that, they want to put this down as it's a productivity and a business process too. Yeah. So in that sense, it fits there. And then for Bing, it's a search engine. It's a search engine that's powered by all sorts of search technologies which use a lot of compute, right? And um, that's why it belongs under Intelligent Cloud. They could also be wanting people to perceive Bing as something that uh, powers their search. So, fun fact, uh, uh, Bing, the search engine, right? You just normally use as a consumer and all that. You wanna, let's say you use it, uh, right? You want to find for whatever's on the web and all that. But behind the scenes, there's a search engine. And with that search engine, you can actually use it to power other kinds of search, right? For other people. So, companies can actually use that or license it as part of their enterprise services section. Yeah, but of course, they, they branch it out in this like Bing. It's just Bing, like, advertising revenue. Yeah, mm -hmm. But it uses the intelligent cloud to get something done. Yeah, So with this uh, kind of angle, right, productivity and business process for LinkedIn, intelligent cloud for Bing, it's just a way of how things are done, how things can get done using their products or services. Okay, interesting. Do, do you see any particular product that is within their ecosystem that will drive a lot of growth going forward? Any particular, oh, because sure. I, I don't think I don't think we can cover every single thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, There's <laughs> just too many business models here. Let's let's talk about one or two that you think uh, people should know a little bit more about about it, and mm. it will drive Microsoft's next big leap into the future. 
Sure, I think two things. Uh, one is Azure. So it's a cloud compute. The second thing would be GitHub. These two things actually. Okay, so reasons why is that Azure is basically like your AWS or your Google Cloud Compute Platform. Um, very, very commoditized, but you cannot participate in it, right? Unless you have certain vast resources under your portfolio. What are these certain vast resources? If you were already using a lot of compute or a lot of storage, you have the advantage whereby if you negotiate with uh, some other cloud vendor out there, right? You say like, oh my God, this kind of thing we can't do. It's too large already. You end up having to build things for yourself. And when you build things for yourself, there's advantages in scale because you just operate in a domain which is too huge already. And when you do that, you can order for certain parts. You can uh, even get the number of people to handle, let's say, the maintenance for very, really, really um, good cost-effective uh, ratios. Lah. Let's put it that way. So when you have this, right, it's something that only other people, uh, let's say like Amazon or Google level, right, can do. And what you get out of that, right, is uh, oligopoly. You don't get something like a very um, competitive market and you can price whatever you want. And everyone's actually pretty comfortable where they are. They operate in very similar spaces, but even though they try to eat each other's market, right, the pie is just so so huge for them to go uh, and, and, and eat lah, moving forward. So that's Azure. Uh, the trend that's driving that is basically everyone is just moving to the cloud. right? You don't see people storing so much documents on, the, on your desktop anymore. It's going to be hosted in somewhere. Lah. Yeah. Uh, that's not on your desktop. Hopefully not your USB. Um, that, that might change over time. Uh, I, I think that still happens sometimes to transfer <laughs> things from one to another. But the whole idea is that the whole process of storing documents and important part, having people to collaborate with those documents, right? Which is going to be seamless. And that's why there's things like your Dropbox nowadays, your Google Drive, your Box.com. Um, in the case of Microsoft, it's your OneDrive, right? So once this is all in the cloud, you need somewhere to go install and you have your data in one place, usually you want to do some fancy um, analysis of it, data crunching, you need cloud compute. So where that, that's where that comes in as well. And for cloud compute, it's not say like, oh, you just buy some very high spec computer, your gaming kind of software, you just run. It's going to run fast, sure, but it's not going to scale well, right? You've got thousands of jobs a day. Each one of them takes like uh, one computer's worth of compute per job. And then you multiply by a thousand, right? are you really going to spend on 1,000 computers? Once you reach those kind of numbers, right? Like law of large numbers, something's going to fail. So we're talking about hundred thousands of computers a day, running them nonstop. Who's going to maintain them? Who's going to replace them? And all that is really being done by your big players, your AWS, GCP, and, and Microsoft. If not, then no one else can actually do it. So that's why it's Azure. As for GitHub, um, why I say so is because um, coming from a, a software engineering background last time, there's very interesting things that you can do on GitHub that you can't with others. So GitHub is, has a really nice interface. You can actually search for code. And the amazing thing about it is that when you search for code, you can find out how people are actually doing things instead of figuring out things yourself. It's almost like going to Google for answers, right? But this time it's for software engineers. And the best part about it is that Microsoft owns this. And when you combine this with artificial intelligence, right, you can actually get very, very crazy results. Okay, so let me share just one thing. Lah. Microsoft was able to build an AI that was recommending code to coders based off what they actually farm from GitHub. This is crazy. So it improves the developer's productivity, right, by a few times, right, because of it. They don't need to look for code. They don't need to think of what to write. Uh, I mean, it's just for simple code, lah, but it helps a lot. Because it really helps in the how you should actually think about certain designs when you try to build a more complex system. But if you have some kind of search and recommendation, right, that's built on top of the code 
the whole um, uh, repository of the entire world, for example, right? It's able to also spot what is a bad design or what is something that can be improved. And this is something, right? It's an age which other companies, right? I don't see actually having yet or being able to build because basically they don't have the data to begin with. GitHub is already the largest repository, right? And the most public repository also. Uh, so a lot of people post their open source projects and all that. There's a lot of contributions that's being done, right? For free. You have engineers out there with basically a lot of spare time, but because it's like a passion project, right? They just keep contributing code and they keep making fixes and improvements and all that. Like imagine that it's, it's basically free, free effort. Eh? It's crazy. Mm. And they're also building out things that is quite life-changing for some developers. They used to do things very manually. And then overnight, or maybe a course of a few weeks, right? Some developer just introduced a fix, right? Which just removes the whole problem altogether. So imagine this, the code base is increasing, means your data keeps increasing and it's good data, right? And now you have a search that's powered on top of that where you can actually find good examples of it and recommend it immediately, right? To Microsoft's customers. Very, very powerful to me. Yeah, pretty crazy. And uh, by the way, I think... I need to point it out that search is not such an easy thing to set up. We are just so used to be like, you know, as a consumer of search, you know, we just Google, we just do all these things. It's so easy, finds us all the information. Mm. But uh, I think as an investor or as someone that's trying to understand business and products, we need to uh, be very cognizant that search is not as easy a product as it is from a user standpoint. Right, you need to right. crunch all these data and you need to be able to sort them out and then you got to be able to you know, find the best way to kind of pick up the best information, right? So, so that's it's actually very complicated. Yeah, and, and best also differs on perspective because for a person that's searching for a, a certain term, right, or the way the order of the words or the phrasing is, right, it's very different understanding for one person, right, and to another person. So you have a lot of different like segments of people, right, searching for the same thing, but actually they're finding something else. So uh, let's say Google, for example, it's important for them to get your history or some other points of data, right? To try and to make the search recommendation as accurate as possible according to yes. your background. Yeah. Yes, which is the beauty of YouTube, which is the beauty of discovery that YouTube has developed as an extension of Google's search power, right? So I think that's mm. pretty interesting. But to, to clarify, mm. um, GitHub is an open source platform. They are not monetizing it. Am I right to say that at this point in time? Like there's no direct revenue... Jen. There is, there is actually. Okay, uh, okay. So there's GitHub, um, so like enterprise level where you have more secure features, you have things like access control and all that. So you use the same kind of features that you get on GitHub when it's open source, but you get to actually um, build a wall around it so that other people cannot see it, for example. You also get certain kinds of features like, like engineering related stuff like version control, um, you get a more powerful kind of search, you get uh, that recommendation thing, which is like in beta. Uh, but you get to test it out and you see that, oh, it's pretty, it's pretty neat. So if I pay a subscription to GitHub, right, I get these services and I enhance the develop, the, my developer's productivity right, like overnight. There's that kind of advantage. Huh? So uh, GitHub has that. I think they have a few interesting programs that's going on also. Um, it's, more, it's functioning like a platform. So for example, open source projects, right? it is completely free in the sense that the code is free to anyone who wants to use it. But the person that's working on it they may actually get uh, something like a patron to fund them through GitHub. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, serious, serious, serious. Yeah, so yeah, so yeah. people who, who are actually um, interested in the code being developed, right? they see that there's a few uh, committed individuals who's willing to work this, they can back the project as like a sponsor. Mm. Yeah, it could be a one-time thing, could be like a, like a $5 coffee per month kind of thing also. Uh, there's different kind of payment plans. Uh. Yeah, so there's a whole platform that's being built around that as well to keep the engineering effort going of open source projects. 
That is damn cool, right? I think all these community-led mm. initiative is the future. Ground up, a lot of good stuff coming. So, okay. So, for Microsoft, I mean, it's, it's a big mammoth. There are all these things. But what are some major processes you know, uh, amidst all these different products that we as investors should understand when trying to look at Microsoft? I think R&D for sure as a tech company. Um, moving forward, I think many other companies, they cannot call themselves as other industries. They have to embrace this technology. But as a forefront of these technologies itself, they need to R&D a lot. If they just say do a misstep out of three years or five years really, there's going to some, be someone else that comes along who maybe takes one part of their business model, but it's actually their core strategy. If it's a core strategy, then there isn't a need for people to go on board anymore. They actually lose some advantages. They stop being big. Right, they don't have the Steve kind of momentum Balmer, anymore. Steve Ballmer, uh, not not saying names, not saying names. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Later. Uh, this later, is essential yeah. for a tech company to have, lah. So R and D, let's say on the Azure side of things, you can always make things more scalable. You can always make things more efficient, right? If you compare head on to say GCP or AWS, if you are that one percent more efficient, right? Over the long run, let's say ten years, right? It's got so much more cost savings, right? Your margins just improve tremendously, and that also translates to more that you can put in, you can pump back into say your Azure division and say you're, you're looking at it from a finance perspective. Yeah, you can grow sales overnight. You can also do some kind of productivity improvements more so. It's really like a force multiplier. Yeah. So with things that scale, uh, the R&D, that little tweak that you can do inside your process or your systems, right? Makes a lot of difference. Yeah. Um, the other thing would be strategic acquisitions. So Microsoft has gotten to the point where it cannot do everything on its own. So it may make more sense to actually just buy outright if they want to go into a certain area or they see there's certain kind of synergy between their products. Uh. So GitHub, uh, as I mentioned, I think there's some synergy there when they actually cater to their developers. It's no longer just uh, enterprise customers which they're dealing with, right? Like, um, okay, it's just Office 365, we've got OneDrive, we've got Excel and stuff like that. It's more than that. They're looking at the next step where every organization are going to have software engineers or at least people that can program Right, And if every single organization is going to have, have that, Microsoft wants to be there to go and support. You don't see Google doing that yet. You don't see Apple or Amazon doing that yet. So this is a niche also that they want to carve out for themselves. Right, Very developer-centric with the Visual Studio Code, with GitHub, with Azure, all the, the systems that they need right, to make sure that the engineers are also recommending, I want to have Microsoft inside this enterprise. If not, I'm not going to work there. It's that kind of thing. The funny thing is that if you give most engineer, software engineers now, right, a Windows laptop to work with, they'll get seriously mad. Yeah. Because there's certain things that, that you can do with a Mac, right, which like is five or six times faster in terms of the step to uh, solve a problem, right, as compared to Windows. So mm -hmm. once Microsoft reaches past that hurdle, right, with GitHub, with uh, Visual Studio Code and all that, it's going to be the number one thing that engineers are actually looking for. So very powerful stuff that they can do with their product positioning, their whole roadmap, which they are actually building um, with the acquisitions, with the synergy, um, and of course, whatever else that's existing, right? Pulling everyone else forward. Yeah. So that whole ecosystem works to drive more revenue. But are you concerned that, you know, uh, they are acquiring for growth? And in some ways, I, I get the whole synergy side of things. Like, okay, GitHub is part of the whole like, Azure cloud ecosystem and all that. So some acquisitions, I get more direct synergy. Uh, but yep. some acquisitions are, you know, uh, <laughs> a, a bit weird. Like, like how they outbid, link, how, outbid Salesforce for LinkedIn. Yeah. Right? So, okay. so mm. uh, that, that's like, really? Uh, and then, of course, of course, Xbox is a legacy system since the 
last management. It's not a dismanagement kind of thing. Uh, we can talk mm. about X, uh, Xbox and gaming in the future uh, later. Uh, but how will you rate their acquisition? You know, I, I'm a little bit concerned when they just kind of buy every all sorts of weird things, like in, in my view. Agree, agree, agree. So I think the, the biggest uh, sticking out point is that they bought LinkedIn for like 26 <laughs> US, 26 billion 26 US. Billion. It's way, way high. Yeah. Mm. And they outbid Salesforce for that. Uh, mm. On the flip side, right? I think for them, it's meant to be an acquisition, not so much for growth or synergy with their company, but for two things. Number one, they always wanted a social media kind of platform. Some way or another, they wanted that. The second thing is that it's actually meant to block other people from acquiring LinkedIn. It's going to be more painful for them over the long run if, say, Salesforce actually got LinkedIn or even Google was able to get LinkedIn. So it's just like it's a dominant platform already, right? I don't want anyone else to get it. Same case where, say, even for the soft, uh, software engineers, right? The market for them is so good right now is because there's a lot of people that will pay for them to go inside the company to just to block them from going to someone else's. It's, it's, just, it's just like that. Yeah, Facebook does that to Google. Google does that to Amazon. Yeah, Tesla does that mm. to Apple. Same thing. Mm. So uh, it's meant to, to, to achieve these two things. And I think Microsoft, uh, they paid a lot. Lah. Whether that price is actually um, worth it or not, we shall see. We shall see. I mm. think LinkedIn only contributes about 1%, one, about 1% of their revenue right now. Uh, but by its own, it's actually still growing. Whether it synergizes to the rest of their ecosystem right, is a really unknown thing. It could be a very long-term play. Lah. What mm -hmm. I think is that um, it's under the productivity and business process is uh, under the HR kind of route. So they yes. cater to everyone in the organization that uses documents, Excel files, PowerPoint sites, right? They cater to the HR personnel in achieving the hiring, right? As well as the marketing side of things in the HR yeah. uh, perspective. He also catered to the developers. So now you have more people inside the organization, right? Where it says like, hey, why are we using Microsoft? Why are we using like X or Y other product? Yeah. And there's also no other, I, 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 till today, like someone can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, there's no other, other alternative, right? To LinkedIn, right? If you were to go and stalk people in the industry and all that, where are you going to go? Maybe Twitter. Yeah, maybe that's that. But LinkedIn is where you go for more professional kind of things. People still keep, uh, things professional on LinkedIn. They don't go like step beyond certain boundaries to go and offend people. You don't see crazy comments and all that. And that has value. That has value. So say 26 billion divided by the number of users on LinkedIn, I think it was $60 per user. Yeah. In order to get those $60, right? And their contacts, right? Companies, um, um, emails and stuff like that. Maybe it was worth it. Maybe it was worth it. And just to block yeah. Salesforce, that is something that Microsoft's um, thinking it could be priceless. Uh. Yeah. Fair, fair, fair. But I think I think it's also important to recognize that um, for a lot of listeners that only interact with Microsoft from a retail user standpoint or just very small business using standpoint, uh, they don't recognize that actually Microsoft mostly serve enterprise clients. Right, so mm. their whole ecosystem is built around enterprises, right? Whether is it from Azure to GitHub to you know uh, all their licenses and their suite and their teams. It's all enterprise clients and enterprise clients have a certain way of working. So you open an account in their service provider uh, department and then there's the whole credit line that, that kind of works through that process, right? So for mm. a lot of people, you need to understand that actually in enterprise sales, there are a lot of middlemen and the middlemen, they do get kicked back, right? So even Microsoft, they have all these kind of distributor arrangements, Right, so for distributors, uh, the more products you have, the easier it is for them to sell to the end 
enterprise customer. You buy this one package, you have this and this and this and this and this and this and this. Yes, yes, yes. And it's easier for them to clock higher volume and get a higher uh, percentage because in the enterprise mm. sales uh, ecosystem, actually, the more you buy from one provider, let's say if I want to sell uh, like Amazon, right? Amazon has all these different products, right? It's a lot easier to clock the sales volume just pushing Amazon compared to uh, which they may give me a higher distributor, you know, kickback compared to, you know, different selling multiple stuff, mm. right? So because mm. of the distributed uh, enterprise uh, sales process that I think a lot of people may not recognize, um, I see some value in uh, Microsoft providing a wider suite of solutions that are still all targeted at the enterprise uh, clients, right? So that's a, that's an interesting uh, angle to look at. Maybe down the road, you will see them acquiring other stuff that will solve the problems of uh, enterprise, right? So, so that's, that's, uh, that's cool. Do, do you want to share with us a little bit about licensing? I think Microsoft uh, has a lot of licensing in their business, right? So that, that is one part that uh, for a lot of listeners, it may be a little bit more unique to Microsoft because amongst the big tech, not a lot of people do the whole licensing model. I think Microsoft right. is the biggest, right? So let, let's talk a little right. bit of licensing before we go into uh, revenue segment. Right. I think historically, Microsoft has gone from a very like you pay for two years kind of thing or you buy mm. this uh, uh, like Windows laptop right it's really got Windows baked in and then it's the license is only valid for about two years and then you just change the laptop uh, now they have actually fully embraced a very like software as a service subscription kind of model as part of their licensing strategy so what do I mean by that instead of like two years you pay for one lump sum or pay like like annually that kind of uh, package right you can pay it month by month and anytime you don't like it already, you can just stop uh, you of your bundle deal is higher value, la, right? There's bigger discounts and all that, um, greater amount of time. But let's say you want to use Office 365, you get, example, $59 a month, you get the premium version and X and Y and Z. But if you top up a little bit more, 10 or $20, I'll give you free email with 50 gigabytes or 100 gigabytes of storage free, right? And then that's another add-on. And not just that, they'll give you more stuff, right? If you pay on, if you if you pack on more things with your monthly subscription. Lah. So it seems to the user or to, let's say, even the, the enterprise customer, right? like, hey, really cheap, eh? I get all these kind of bundled deals. I don't need to use some kind of old software anymore. I can just use Microsoft. And forever they will stay. Lah. Because you're inside the ecosystem, really, you only pay this amount. And it makes a lot of sense for companies to shift over into this kind of model. So yeah, that, that that's the licensing aspect of them. Um, it works a lot for say your Office 365, uh, it may be a bit different for your Windows OS, but once you are inside this bundle deal, right, it just comes together. Like every month, yes. visually, right, you're paying only X amount of dollars for a wide range of things that you can yeah. do with Microsoft. Mm. Anytime someone forces me on a Microsoft Teams call, right, then I know they buy from Microsoft bundle already. Because <laughs> <laughs> Microsoft Teams call, mm, the, U, the UI not as... Not as um, well developed, huh? but but right. when, whenever they force me into it, and I said, like, "Can you use like Zoom or Google?" <laughs> I was like, "Uh, no lay." Then I was like, "Okay, can you guys buy Microsoft Bundle, right?" Right. So there's actually yeah. a lot of companies that do that, and uh, it's interesting to note that uh, Microsoft actually has a lot of licenses, uh, even from the B two B angle, from an enterprise level all the way up to the the customer, mm. the end customer, um, and it's 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 quite a complex uh, model. But of course, uh, they have taken some changes over time to do more SaaS style kind of licensing structure. So yeah, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, how should we analyze Microsoft as a company? Like what are some core yeah. metrics um, that we should look at when we're understanding Microsoft? 
Sure, sure, sure. I think the, the biggest drive for Microsoft would be their cloud, right? Um, so it's important to look at what's their market share. So right now, they are at 13%. Oh, it seems like um, rather small. So who's first? It's AWS at 33%. And actually, Microsoft is second in the worldwide market share right, for cloud. So 30% is actually a bit far, but AWS is like way, way further. Lah. But that's okay because this is like a almost three-horse race, right? And who's third is GCP. It's Google at 5 to 6%. So you can imagine actually who's taking the lion's share. It's Amazon. Right, crazy, crazy revenues from there, but there's a few spots which they can't go into also, or they can't capture the entire market. That's why Microsoft can come in. And uh, so far, the reviews have been good. So not many people actually port out of Microsoft or Azure into, say, GCP. Uh, GCP has its own slew of issues. Uh, you can talk to engineers about it, but they will either go for Amazon or Azure, uh, which is pretty good. Right, so customer service levels, um, how the engineers actually feel about working with this kind of software. Some will just blatantly like, uh, no, this is crap. Yeah, I'm not gonna work with it. And then you're, you're in trouble already, right? Because they know that it's, it's, it can't support the way that they do things. Even though you might think like, hey, engineer, I can be more flexible, right? Say no. There's a hard technological uh, constraint, right? Which GCP cannot do, which Azure and AWS can. I'll just put it at that. Like, you can just ask more questions about it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then uh, you look at Office 365. So Office 365 is, is a very mature part of their business, but it's still growing. This is a crazy thing, right? And uh, you want to see how many people are actually upgrading to the next tier? Because this means that um, the value of their users, right, per hit in Office 365 or even as a package, right, is increasing. So they have advanced to more um, use cases, right, of Microsoft ecosystem, right, or Office 365 such that they need the higher package. And when they upgrade, right, it tends to mean that they will actually stay for longer because they have a greater need, right, to use this part of Microsoft ecosystem. There's also a higher chance which they will use the other products within Microsoft and it's pretty good. La. Okay, why I say it's, it's a mature part of their revenue is it's rather consistent la, between the three segments talk about. It's like 30, 30-ish percent for each. Um, the user base for Office 365 is still early, right? It's more than, slightly more than 50% only. Um, we have this chart here which says that the number of people that's using Windows is going to be the same people that is going to use Office 365 also, right? You might have chances, la, yeah, they, they open a Windows computer, they go and log into Chrome, Chrome browser, they go and use Google G Suite or something. Yeah, so there's cases like that. But in a company, usually if you've got Windows ready, you're going prim- to primarily use Office 365. Yeah. So you still see the number of Windows operating system upgrades. right? So the number from the old legacy Windows that's upgrading to the new ones, into which version and all that, that also matters. That's, that's how you can also tell how many people are going into uh, Office 365. Uh, but Windows OS also has its own kind of revenue, so that helps yeah, to, to look at that. Uh, the, the last bit, I think, is really IT budgets and the future spending for companies. So everyone's got an IT budget um, and how much they're willing to spend on certain kinds of technologies. There's surveys that's being done by, by I think, Gartner. There's a few others by, uh, what's this company? Uh? Um, Credit Suisse even, yeah. So they have their own research that they want to do. They, they, Microsoft is just big. They'll, they'll definitely cover it every year. But you can see how many people is going to take up more Microsoft right in the next year. And that's very good because the budget percentage of budget of the IT spending, right, is going, a large share of it is going to Microsoft. The next one will be Salesforce, right? And the next one will be, say, SAP. SAP is like legacy to the max, right? But it's not as much as compared to, to Microsoft. Yeah. So mm-hmm. this is a thing like 56% increase, right, in Microsoft spending the next year. This is on average. Salesforce is at increase of 36%. And Oracle and IBM is decreasing by about 14 to 15%. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and that actually 
double downs on the pointers that we were talking about before, right? Which is customers uh, of Microsoft is actually enterprise level. So if you can mm. provide them more uh, solutions to solve their enterprise level problems, then uh, the budget that goes to you becomes bigger and bigger and just easier. You bundle everything and then your per ticket per client becomes much bigger. And you're seeing mm. from the numbers. So that's a pretty interesting way to look at it. Although I do agree that um, every single business in, in Microsoft as a product, it can be a little bit different. and uh, Not a little bit different. They have a lot of different business models. But if you don't want to go into digging down every single product, which probably you shouldn't because they are yeah. so big. You know, they're so big. Some some product, maybe 1%, 0.5% of revenue. It's very, very small. So you, you yep. don't want to go into this rabbit hole of digging down some like miracle product that you think will be the future. From looking at this kind of big business, you really got to see it from the higher level. So I think um, it, it doubled down on what we were saying before, which is uh, providing more solutions to your client, which are the enterprises. They will spend more on you, lah, right? So essentially, mm. essentially, uh, numbers are showing. So that's that's pretty cool, pretty interesting. Yeah, I also want to point out that AWS at a point in time, I think maybe about five years ago, they had half the market. Right, so they, they had they had half the market of uh, cloud computing. Of course, cloud computing is very broadly used and it has changed over time. You know, what constitute cloud computing? Uh, the, the thing just keeps growing. Like everything now is a cloud, right? It's like, oh, what, what? I don't know, just cloud, huh? <laughs> so, so it has grown so much. So everyone is growing, right? So even though Amazon has a smaller a market share today of the total cloud computing space, it is still growing pretty massively. But in other yeah. words, it also it also suggests that Microsoft is really getting that, you know, push and doubling down on that product. You know, because they have essentially eaten into Amazon's uh, market share and, and mm. grow to become more and more dominant. So that is a pretty interesting observation. Yeah. Mm. Shout out to my friend coding at Microsoft in Seattle. <laughs> so yes good good stuff good stuff and oh, oh by the way I also want to point out that um, this is a bit of hearsay but a lot of people say Microsoft don't have a lot of engineering debt whereas uh, Amazon has a lot of engineering debt and do you want to share with us a little bit more what is an engineering debt for people that uh, don't understand I know it's a bit of a tangent but yeah since we're on the topic sure so engineering debt um, to most engineers is things like a decision point right where we initially we had to make some crappy decision in the past just to get something done. Sometimes we need to make timelines, right? And this means that it's a trade-off between doing something in a very hacky way and it's not well designed and that's going to cause problems down the road. So we kick the can further. That's engineering that. So when we kick the fan further, and then suddenly a new engineer comes in and says, oh my gosh, like this is going to take some time to go and build it. Like, are we going to fix it or are we going to like, just leave it there? And then they might kick the can down further again. So this engineering debt builds and builds and builds to the point where certain things, right, it's not scalable to do anymore, but it's still there because it's just take, take, it's a monster by then. And that's the only way that things are being kept running. Things are humming in the background, but your interface on the front, it looks very nice. Lah. Yeah. But that keeps the company from growing, actually. It cannot scale already because it's not well designed. So we come to the point where, okay, we really sit down and say, we need to go and put some budget into it. We need a few X number of engineers to work on this for months to maybe rewrite the code or that part of the code. And then the engineering that we resolve, uh, then fix, it's unblocked, you can do other things. So certain companies, um, the fast growing ones, likelihood, right, is that they have very high engineering debt because the amount of times they have to go and change left and right and their, uh, like the business decisions and all that is a lot. 
And down the road, right, they will encounter that, okay, maybe they have very high engineer attrition rate. They just drop off because it's, there's too many things to go and handle. There's too many things to fix. We're just patching things on and on and on. You have a bad engineering culture, people leave. Then that affects your business down the road. And then you have companies which is more mature. They know what they're doing, quite experienced ones. They say like, everything is pretty much scalable already. You just you got all the toolkits you need to do. You have more engineers actually staying there for the long term. That, in my perspective, is how you can actually differentiate companies with uh, high engineering or low engineering debt, the tenure. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a little bit of a hearsay, yeah. So don't quote mm. me on it, but um, yeah, people do say, uh, at least my friends that are engineers in the space uh, of big tech do say that Microsoft has very low engineering debt, lah, and they're not paisa to kind of cut the whole thing and redo. So um, that's that's a interesting part, lah. So it's up to you. You can go and look at Glassdoor review, look at forum, whatever you you know. But I do think uh, it is a it's a good thing to note that as a company, they they take the development of their product very seriously, lah. All right. So so that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. Shall yeah. we talk a little bit about the financials of the company, right? So uh, what are their different segments and how are they performing? I think it's very nicely split from Microsoft. So there are three, right? Productivity, business process, it's at about 31%. Intelligent Cloud's at 34%. And more personal computing, right? It's at 35%, the hardware segment. So it's very neatly uh, balanced out. And <laughs> I would say like diversified. <laughs> la. It might be on purpose yeah. or so. Like it just doesn't fit the numbers. La. But remember, it's, it's more of a marketing thing. Okay. So revenue, I've got numbers from Q2 2021. was 41 billion versus 35 billion. So that's a 17% increase compared to the previous year. 51% of those revenues actually came from the US, 49% from other countries. So again, well diversified uh, geographically. The by segment, um, already mentioned, uh, Intelligent Cloud, uh, even it's like 30%-ish, right, it's still one of the fastest growing uh, in terms of operating income segments. So after revenues, right, you calculate by the um, operating income. It's also the largest source of profit. So your margins are the factors there. And basically for Q2 2021, uh, Azure is, is just the largest growth, yeah, the next fastest growing one will be Xbox Dynamics, which is like a something like a CRM slash ERP part of uh, Microsoft, as well as LinkedIn. Okay, fastest growing doesn't mean that it's the highest profit. Lah. So yes. even though this constitutes a smaller portion of the revenue, you know that things are growing. Lah. So things are still working in their very like long tail kind of strategy. Yeah, cost-wise, so it's 13 billion compared to 10 billion. It's a 30% increase, but uh, I think that's okay. They're already making a, a, like a lot of uh, revenue. Yeah. Yeah, so operating margin, right? You want if you, I think it's some way to also you want to see translating efficiency in terms of the business process. You can also look at just the margins, right? It's forty point one five percent, right? Versus thirty seven percent. Yeah, it's just crazy, lah. It's it's expanding like mad. Very good margins for such a giant sell, selling software. I think they 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 do have yeah. very good margins in the space. Yeah. Yeah, so I think things just work and they just do improvements. The subscriptions just take care of it. You want to upgrade or not upgrade, then just get access to better features quite straight away. I think it's also important to note that because they are providing more products to the same customer pool, you know, their customer acquisition cost is actually not that high per customer going forward. Yeah, you're selling right? back because to they're the same just customers. Upselling, yeah, to the same guys, to the same guys. Right? So, right. you know, this mid-sized SME, 100, 200 people, they come to you with this problem. Then, uh, you know, a thousand of them come to you with the same problem. Then Microsoft will be like, okay, let's go and find something that can solve these guys. Right? And so right. It, it just, so it, it kind of expands their ticket per enterprise, but, you know, it, it also expands their margin because there's limited uh, marginal increase in cost. Right? So that's, yeah. that's pretty interesting. Right. And cash flows, right? So this is just the profit we should already get inside the quarter. It's 13 billion versus 11.7 billion. It's a 10% increase. But what's crazy about it is that their free cash flow just covers their costs. So <laughs> it's, it's like, 
Okay la, one times your cost done already, it's, it's like after your net profit. Then we don't have to worry about next quarter, guys. Like, <laughs> that is already done, done and dusted. Yeah, if you want to pay down their debt, which they did, they paid uh, $6 billion worth of debt. This was the financing they needed to actually buy LinkedIn. Um, they also paid dividends. They also did share buyback. So this is where a bulk of this um, cash flow actually went to. So I think capital allocation wise, um, other than this LinkedIn acquisition, they're still giving it back to the shareholders. La. Yeah. But basically, it's, you're covering, covering themselves for the next quarter already, uh, which is very, very good. Um, cash in hand is also about the same, 13.7 to 13.5 billion. So every quarter that they're getting these kinds of um, free cash flow, they're using it well enough and having this amount of float uh, at the end of the day in their bank. La. So debt-wise, uh, it's pretty heavy, 50 billion versus 59 billion. So we see that they're actually paying down the debt slowly uh, by about 16%, which is kind of nice. And their EPS is $2.03 versus $1.14. Yeah, if you compare just the nine months which they have operated, it's $5.88 versus uh, $4.03. So crazy. Like, 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 like this is the amount of money that they can actually churn out uh, per share. Yeah, pretty wild. They're increasing their earnings, reducing their debt, reducing their shares. So yeah, I think um, there's nothing much to say about their financials like, essentially because you know, uh, it's a it's a very big healthy. company, very well managed. You know, you 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 don't get here out of out of accident, uh, right? So mm. from financials is it's uh it's, it's that's about it. But I think like like I want to reemphasize, they are selling to the same customer. So per ticket goes mm. up, margin goes up, right? So that is uh, mm. something sexy, and for a lot of people that are on the side like myself, looking at Microsoft, you know, you you need to know that they don't just sell consumer products, lah. You know, they're not just uh their consumer. Thing that appears on your tung tung tung, you know, like uh, when you turn on your computer, they're a lot, a lot bigger. So yeah, yeah. Let's let's uh talk about the management. I think the management play a big part, lah. <laughs> the management yeah. has, you know, uh, I mean, you just look at the acquisition over the past few years and all the whole cloud thing, whether it's GitHub, LinkedIn, and what have you, they all came under the acquisition process of the new management. Even the transition to Office Doc. Office 365, office.com. It's all under the new management. The old management, you know, which is the infamous Steve Ballmer, (laughs) did buy Xbox, you know, and uh, voted as one of the worst management and and what have you. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so management changed, the tonality changed, things have changed. So yes, uh, walk us through this new management and, you know, what are some iconic things that they have done and how do you rate them? Right, I think there's a little story behind the change in management and the culture shift. Uh. So the, the the CEO now is Satya Nadella, right? But uh, he was actually the VP of Azure back then when uh, he was still reporting to Steve Palmer. And uh, basically, he's backing this whole cloud push, right? Since the beginning, really. Um, he joined since 1992. Um, he's got a background in engineering and has an MBA. Whereas for Steve Palmer, it's solely, I think, in math and economics. So not really a tech background. I think this matters uh, because basically, under Steve Palmer, Everything about Microsoft right, is anti-open source. That means he wants everything inside the Microsoft ecosystem right, to be only reliant on this enterprise to build up certain things. No one from outside is going to contribute in. Neither is anything from enterprise going to get out. Right? So your developers aren't going to be very excited about working with Microsoft, whether it's a technology or whether it's a company. Lah. So under Nadella, that has changed a lot. Right? It's open source first, it's developers first, cloud-centric. Yeah, whichever tools they need, they want to be as open as possible. So a lot of the tone, a lot of the marketing inside and outside the company actually change. Yeah. So I think having Satya Nadella as the CEO, right, uh, is very focused on cloud. It's very focused on uh, engineering um, as the key component uh, in Microsoft strategy moving forward. So 
not not just that, uh, not just the CEO, the others inside the senior executive team, which we'll talk about, also have a technical background. Even those in the sales and the marketing side of things. And I think this is essential. Uh. So there's Judson uh, Eltoff. He's the chief commercial uh, officer. He, previously, he did senior sales in Oracle and EMC. He joined in 2013. So been there quite some time. There's also Chris Caposella. He's a chief marketing officer. Was in Microsoft since 1991 also. So around the same time as Satya Nadella. There's Kevin Scott. He's a CTO. Previously at Google. Also at LinkedIn. He holds multiple patents. He's also a researcher and engineer. Lah. So you have the tech geek. You have the sales and marketing people who are also tech geeks. You also have the CEO, also a tech geek. Yeah. So running a large corporation like that, I think that is essential. Lah. So everyone kind of resonates or understands what the engineering um, problems are like, right? Before crafting solutions for them, not the other way around. Yeah, I think that that matters a lot. Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of people don't understand sales engineers. You know, like uh, it, it's, it is a very specific role and it's actually very hard to hire technical salespeople, right? So um, I think that's for, for everybody that work in HR, you probably know, but for everyone else that's not in the space, it has a lot of value when your sales team understand the technology rather than you just, you know, randomly get some People that sell cosmetic and come and sell IT, you know, it, it's a everything different. Can everything, yeah, can can everything can one. Everything can one. Everything can. Everything sweet. Yeah. Okay. Can sweet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's actually it's actually very different, and uh, technical sales is very specific. So it's it's good that like what you pointed out that even the marketing, the commercial people, they all have some sort of engineering background and they understand the space and the uh, ecosystem in general. But I I think definitely based on. Uh, what Nadella is pushing for, it suggests how they're going to push forward. right? So during Bomber's time, they bought Xbox and what have you. And those are very walk garden strategy, right? They want to be like an Apple, right? So um, mm. a lot of those things are kind of... <laughs> okay, okay. Right? Those are the past, right? <laughs> but, but, you, but you look at where, where things are now and how the management envisions the future it also suggests how they acquire certain things how they build their corporate culture you know like my friend that's working in Microsoft is like you know hiking and climbing half the time <laughs> so it's like mm. ah, I was like hey, you, don't you don't need work ah. it's like oh yeah just get the work done that's fine alright so the, the the culture has changed and Microsoft is becoming uh, a sexier and sexier place to work also right so it's all part of the whole open source culture open source idea community led and, and a lot of those things. So yeah, if you ask me, I, I, I generally am quite aligned with this idea and I uh, will rate the management pretty highly. Yeah. Any, any thoughts? No, I think that uh, kind of summarizes it. They, they have a lot of other strong leaders, but this is just the, the, the key ones uh, on, the, on the C-suite level. But really going forward, it's really also on the enterprise level, right? Understanding that the devs, the engineering inside their enterprise customers, right? Also matter. So that's why giving them this kind of support and tools, the product direction, the company's direction um, matters a lot. Yeah. Mm. Every mid-sized company will have a tech team going forward. Right? So I think so too. You, mm. I think so. Every mid-sized company, not the small guys, but the mid-sized 100, 200, 300 people, they will have mm. to have their own tech team. Not to develop things from scratch, but to optimize and change things. You know, to, right. to meet their own customers' specific needs. Right? So... Because I envision that that's the future, then yeah, I think Microsoft is uh, pretty well positioned. Yeah, after talking to you, it made me feel like yeah, maybe I should look at Microsoft a little bit deeper. <laughs> so so that's good. Yeah, let, let's let's talk about the the modes of the company. I think they have a lot of modes, and we've we've talked about right. a lot of them. Yeah, so let's uh, bring out the few that you think are the most important for our listeners. I think they have a very strong advantage in that their customers already are big. They also have a lot of different enterprise customers. It's very varied. But as you mentioned, right, 
they're upselling right to the same customers. So acquisition cost is very low. It's just like, hey, you want to try new things not? Just pay $10 more. Lah. It's that kind of thing. So you have that advantage, right, where you have so many users, you also have so many devs inside the, the enterprise uh, customers' companies. It's very easy to upgrade or to build features because they have very good feedback they need, right, to solve their problems. And once you have this close relationship with your customers, right, it's very hard to actually unlock these customers, right, and for them to just go elsewhere. Because they are very loyal to you, you are very loyal to them. You just build what they want. That, that being said, not just building everything that they want, but it's also prioritizing according to what they want. But Microsoft has a say in the direction also because they are that big, right? If they want to influence how things are being done, let's say a developer cycle, productivity and business process, for example, everyone has to use LinkedIn, right, for their hiring needs in the future. They can go along this line one. And then that's where you see LinkedIn being uh, growing the revenues, right, even more. Because uh, suddenly they just want to activate this kind of growth strategy. La. So other than the mode, there's also this Xbox kind of angle. For them, they really have foothold into the hardware space. They are not just on the OS level, right? But also on the hardware. I think that matters going forward. Um, there were I think, a few discussions in on, uh, across TFC. La. Let's say for Netflix or for Spotify and all that. And those are just content. They are, they are just on the, like, the medium, right? Uh, the media even. So... When people consume this, right, it's very easy for them to just find another kind of media to also consume. It just takes up their attention. Ma. But say for like Sony PlayStation and your Xbox, right, there's a stickiness to that. You only want to play because it's on an Xbox. Say for Halo, right? Or let's say on Sony, you want to or like Pokemon, it must be on a Nintendo, right? Or yes, it must yeah. be on your... It's that kind of thing. It's very, very nostalgic and you can't take that away. Shout out to everyone that bought a Nintendo to play Pokemon. Okay, I, I'm sure there are a lot of people that did that. Okay, so so uh, all of you, thanks for keeping the economy alive. Yeah? <laughs> mm. yeah, I think this is a strong mode. Yeah, because there's just unique experiences that you craft based off that platform, right? Which you can't get anywhere else. Uh. Yeah, so it is a good move actually. The other mode they will have is definitely their brand. So Microsoft is really a big company. It's, it's very, very stable. When you use their products, you won't like scream for help. I wouldn't say the same for other kinds of software. Yeah, so <laughs> it's, it's also seen as one of the best companies to work for. La. So they're already attracting a lot of uh, good talent and they actually stay there for quite some time. Um, another thing is that they are very, very strong in the domains that they are in already. You won't see them lose market share overnight, right? It's a growing market overall, but uh, they are very entrenched in those areas, uh, those three segments in some way or another. And they have that kind of mindset, right, to kill the products at least when it's not working. Yeah, so you definitely know when it, things are not working or not, right? But uh, for now, they have these strong modes. Lah. Yeah, they, they are there. They are very, very high walls. And I, I think that is uh, definitely something to know, right? So when you look at Microsoft, at least when for, for listeners, when you're studying Microsoft, right, you may not be able to find the next big thing in terms of like growth and, and what have you. Um, they're probably pretty advanced in a lot of the things that they're already doing and they're already one of the top views in, in whatever space that they are in. But... I think understanding Microsoft gives you a better understanding of the other companies that you're studying. Right? So let's say if you're studying Sony, yep. you know, uh, you're studying Nintendo, right? then you have to look at what Microsoft is doing with Xbox ecosystem. Or you know, mm. if you're trying to look at Oracle or IBM as a company to see whether maybe they can turn around. Is there something that's going to happen? IBM is shouting their turnaround story for the longest time ever. You know, and uh, how Oracle has, has a certain anchor in some of the big uh, software ecosystem also in itself. By looking at Microsoft and actively revisiting Microsoft, what, is, what are they doing? It gives you a better view of the whole landscape. Right? Essentially, that's kind of why 
I think we wanted to do today's episode. Not so much about like mm. telling you, you know, well, oh, there's a big opportunity here. Microsoft is like, Microsoft is like everything they're also doing <laughs> <laughs> and they're executing everything pretty well. You know, it's one of those episodes where same as Apple, we find it very hard to comment uh, something very witty and counterculture and like some super, <laughs> like, like, you know, hey, is there something to say about Microsoft? You know, so... Mm. Um, yeah, uh, so that's that's kind of my base case when I when I look at Microsoft as a company and why we want to cover it today, uh, for all mm. of you listening. So yes, uh, to sum up, okay. Although there is so much good things about Microsoft, are there any risk factors or any kind of growth opportunities that you observe um, for our listeners uh, when looking at Microsoft as a company? For sure, I think Microsoft focuses a lot on the enterprise side of things, right? So there may be still people using Office three six five in that respect. But we can also discount that there is a very gradual shift in the non-enterprise, maybe even in enterprise, mm. right, towards G Suite. So there's a lot yes. of G Suite products really that can replicate almost the same, if not more, uh, of what Microsoft can do. Yeah, yeah, our whole team is on G Suite. We're using Slack, we're yeah. using you know, uh, mm. G Drive, we're using all the Google G Suite stuff, so <laughs> Gmail right. and whatever you, right? So yeah. Mm. Right. And if you look at the history of Microsoft, um, they have killed the products fast, yes. But those kind of products also it means that they are losing that part of the game. So example, do you use Hotmail nowadays? <laughs> right? Yeah, but wait, everyone wait, back wait. then was like, I have a Gmail, I've got a Hotmail, I don't know which one to use. Then suddenly it's like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, everyone just started to use Gmail a lot more. Um, mm-hmm. Why? Maybe because a single sign-on is just that much better. Right, and Hotmail is like, hey, why is this? It looks very clunky. You want to type in your things. You want to sign in your things. You don't see a lot of platforms where you want to sign up. Say like you sign up for Netflix for some time. Oh, activate using your Hotmail. It's just not there. Right? It's not the first one already. So that has been out of their, their, their roadmap. They're not going to do that anymore. You look at browsers. Are you using Internet Explorer? Are you using Edge? No, right? So, so they, they are so not very much winning on that um, consumer software side of things. Right? Mm. But uh, Internet Explorer was one of the things which uh, affected a lot of the buying decisions last time in enterprise. Because most companies that bought into, into Microsoft say like, oh, everyone uses Internet Explorer. All the software must support Internet Explorer. But now that's changing because they're decommissioning it already. And mm-hmm. uh, try, they're trying to push out Edge. La, but basically, it's too new for the enterprise customers to use. So, and the next best thing that they use is Chrome. Because everyone's used to it uh, outside of the company. Right. Shout out to Firefox though. Actually, their, yeah, yeah. their internet uh, interface is the most optimized and most efficient. So the least mm. operational, uh, the, the highest experience is actually Mozilla Firefox. So interesting. Huh? Anyway, it's a listed company. We can talk about it another time. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Interesting stuff. So bro- browsers, right? I think this also makes a difference. Uh, you can use Firefox, but you log into Firefox, you log into Google Drive <laughs> because it's faster, maybe, maybe, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but at the end of the day, the products they use, right? You see this ecosystem, like who is it actually controlled by? Slowly, there's going to be a gradual shift. Like, hey, someone think like, I'm always using Google stuff, right? I also want to hunt for other things that's by Google because the experience is that good. So Microsoft has to be a bit careful here. Like, like they cannot just seed more and more ground. Um, another one would be search for, right? Google, Bing, or Yahoo. Everyone uses Google. Chat, MSN Messenger, Skype, who uses those? I don't know. Yeah, who uses mm. Teams, right? Teams is only an enterprise, but not on the outside. Yeah, Windows versus Mac. I think this is another big one. If they lose on this front, I think this is a, it's a, it's a very big risk. Lah. Yeah, because mm. basically, if there's no need for Office 365, if everyone's on, if no one's on Windows, right? So they, this Windows thing is, has to be looked at uh, very, very closely, whether they're losing market share or they're gaining. The, the devs, definitely, they'll choose Mac over it because it's Linux. 
Then um, for normal users and all that, well, basically if the form factor is good, it can replicate the same thing as Windows or use a Mac and then use Firefox on a Mac to use Google Drive. <laughs> Nothing stopping that, right? right? Like it's it's yeah. platform agnostic. You're not stuck with something um, and you're forced to use a certain ecosystem. I think this is something that um, may become more prominent in the future uh, where the trend of consumers, the trend of enterprise, they don't want to be stuck on something. They rather be flexi- have more flexible options. Uh. The last thing I think would be a platform war that may occur. So Xbox is a good mode for them, but uh, that's right now. But moving forward, where things are going to be, uh, they might need to go and fight with uh, VR and AR. So that's where the trend is starting. Um, for say like Apple, their wearables, um, Facebook's Oculus is heading in that direction. Um, it's just starting, but I think this is important for large companies to go and look at. Uh. And uh, for Xbox, can they actually keep up with this? It's unknown. Whether they have enough content that's going to come on board for VR and AR, this is also unknown. Until now, I haven't seen Microsoft so working main, on it yet. Yeah. La. It does yeah, not sound yeah. like it's their main push. Compared to everyone else, Amazon, Apple, Google, Facebook, they all have a bigger content strategy. Um, yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't say Netflix la, because they are all about content only. Mm. <laughs> so com- compared to Microsoft, they are all putting more in content. Yes. So from a mode perspective, I think they have a really strong mode. But the biggest risk overall, la, like what we've discussed, right, is getting complacent. Right. They, are, it, it, like, they just have enough already and then they stop growing. And that's where you see other companies start to take over. Maybe even one small company taking up one small segment of their business model. And then mm. slowly another one and slowly another one. And then before you have it, Microsoft becomes a smaller company. Yeah, So that, that is the risk lah, ultimately. Yeah, a lot of different growth opportunities for sure. Uh, but it's to do with the maturing customers that they have, upselling the existing things that they have. Um, the biggest one would be say the, the JEDI contract with the Department of, US Department of Defense. Uh, but that is back to the drawing board again. La. Um, they're going to have to fight with Amazon or, and a few other players for it also. But it's a 10 billion yes. contract. It's a very big one. So I think Microsoft is in a very interesting space. It's definitely growing. Uh, but yeah, risk of getting complacent as with any large company. La. Yeah, I think Palantir will win the DOD contract. No, la, no, la. Yeah. <laughs> Different business altogether. But yeah, in, in general, I think I, I agree with you. Um, the pointers are very fair in the sense of Microsoft is dominant in wherever they are. But you are seeing a lot of trends not in their benefit. right? Mm. So more and more younger companies are not starting out with uh, Office 365. You know, they are starting out with SaaS products that they pluck from their friend. Like we use Airtable, Notion, Slack, you know, and as we scale, we may optimize certain things. But really, I, I never entertained the idea. Maybe when the salesperson kind of called me that, hey, you know, maybe you guys should use Microsoft. And then I'll start calling everybody Microsoft Teams. <laughs> but 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 that is not the <laughs> but that is not the the current structure, right? But a lot of the younger enterprises are doing things a little bit differently. So whether mm. the platform can continue to be sticky and innovate, I think that all adds to the value of Microsoft as a business. So those are good risk factors to be aware of. But all that being said, it is too big to immediately like, like next quarter topple or next, or yeah. next year yeah. topple. It's, it's not so easy one, right? So it's not right. a startup that is trying to like dig market share and if let's say growth declines, then the whole share price will like just come crashing you know, because mm. people are pricing all the growth but it is just good to know that if you start observing them losing out in certain spaces, um, it may fundamentally challenge their business model, right? So uh, it is not a next year or next quarter kind of thing, but it can be a few years if you see 
the competition ramp up and uh, Microsoft, uh, some parts of Microsoft's business may become obsolete, right? Or, or at least lose um, a very big chunk. So yeah, mm. good stuff. Um, join our Telegram group, sign up for a weekly newsletter, go to thefinancialcoconut.com to put your email so that you get a monthly update of what is going on in the market. Any questions, come to our Telegram group. I'll see you guys. Take care. Thanks, Thomas. Hey Coconut, so I hope you learned something useful today and definitely recognize that investing is a personal decision. We're not giving you any recommendations here, but I'm always happy to geek out with you about different interesting companies and trends for the future. This series has a lot more depth and terms, so if you have any questions for us, do join our community telegram group or DM us on our socials. Link is in the description. If you love us and want to help us grow, definitely share the podcast with your friends and on your socials. And to stay tuned with what is happening in the markets and in the TFC network, do sign up for our weekly newsletter at thefinancialcoconut.com. With that, I hope you have a great day ahead and may you improve to become a confident, insightful and disciplined investor, ultimately creating the life you love while managing your finances well. See ya next week.